The Love Good Podcast is brought to you by our patrons. As they stand on the front lines of discovering the world's best new music, books, and art before anyone else, our patrons raise media to a higher standard and help young people and artists turn that standard into a way of life. Join the movement today that will give you hope for tomorrow. Become a patron now at lovegoodculture.com. Welcome, everybody, to the Love Good Podcast. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell. Hope you're having an amazing summer. We're well into the month of June at this point. And this is another very special bonus episode. I had the privilege of sitting down just a few weeks ago with Matt Wirtz. He's one of Nashville's finest singer-songwriters. He's been an independent artist for about 17 years, has traveled the world a few times over, put out some incredible projects, the most recent of which, a couple of years ago, he recorded in L.A. and kind of reinvented invented himself as an artist, but especially in that recording and production process. And we just had an incredible time together. This is a very raw and real conversation about what it's like to be an artist, to try to bridge the gap specifically between church and culture, and what it really looks like uh, to embrace the struggle and the joy, but especially the struggle that it is to be human. I think all of us have this temptation to sort of always present ourselves, to present our lives as a little more figured out and a little bit happier than is actually the case. And what I love about Matt is he just digs in to the realities of life and not only does that in his music, but does it in a very particular way in this conversation. So kick back and enjoy the show. We'll be back in just a few moments. On the clock and one on the phone. It's five nineteen. I'm feeling alone. And if I could talk to you, I'd want you to know my holes and loops ain't letting go. Back in the Love Good Studio with Matt Wirtz. How you doing, Matt? Doing great. I'm it, doing great. I'm still trying to wake up, but yeah. you know, I'm already t- I'm two cups of coffee in. I was going to ask you're drinking water. Over I'm there. drinking water because I'm I'm at that thing where it's like coffee. Any more coffee is just going to like give me jitters. Yeah, it's not helping to wake me up as much as it is to like make me anxious. Yeah, that's so I'm, not a good I'm feeling. I've transitioned to water. So hopefully we'll just you know. We'll be we'll be fine. Are you into this thing where people wake up and they drink like twenty ounces of water, thirty ounces of water first thing? I've I go in and out of like uh, I go in and out of something like that. I, I was I was doing this intermittent fasting thing for a while. Yeah, and um, they kind of like call for that. And I think also I've done like this Advocare cleanse. You know mm, about Advocare? I don't. Um, I should be getting paid for this, but there's there's a company that like makes like vitamins and supplements and stuff like that and they have like a 10 day and 24 day like cleanse that you can do dang and one of the, and they one of the steps is like just pound water right when you wake up i mean you can't go wrong drinking more water <laughs> it's just never like everything that you that they like suggest you to do is like yeah i mean 
Of course, it's good to like eliminate <laughs> bread and sugar from your diet, like, and eat, you know, lean protein and like green vegetables. Like, mm. but for some reason, I need to pay somebody to tell me that for me to actually yeah. take it seriously. Yeah. So I probably should start paying my mom and my sister. They're so good about this stuff. Yeah. So I just take mental notes. I apply when I can. I give up for a little while, fall into despair, get back on the bandwagon. Yeah. I mean, I figure you probably think about these things just by the mere fact that I, I bump into you at restaurants all over 12th Avenue South. Yeah. I, I think we probably have at least a similar foodie that rages deep within. Yeah. You know, tell me about life in Nashville. Not, not just the food, but like you've been here for a long enough time and I really know it as home, but you've seen so much change as well. Oh man, yeah. It almost feels like it, there'll be moments where I'll kind of flash back to earlier iterations of Nashville and I'm like, man, yeah. that feels like a different lifetime, you know? Like... I remember the days before the Frothy Monkey, you know, and there there was a place, I think it was called Caffeine, and it was on Demumbrian. It was, like, there, like, on that stretch where, like, all the college bars kind of are. Yep. And there was, like, this coffee shop called Caffeine that I would go to every day, and they had, this was before I was, like, drinking real coffee. I was drinking, like, the sugary, like, yeah. there's some coffee in there, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, but it was this thing called, I think it was called, like, the mocha glacier or something like that and it was like this bl- iced blended drink and they then they squirted caramel and in chocolate syrup on the inside of the cup it was like a clear plastic cup and they squirted that in there before they poured it in there and it was just beautiful mm. sugary sweet and caffeinated <laughs> goodness and uh and then that slowly that like it's kind of like, you know, the Taylor Swift of of coffee, like the the transition, like it's like you get into Taylor Swift and like and then maybe you get into Keith Urban and then and then maybe you're listening to like, you know, Tim McGraw and then it's like, oh now I'm into like Alan Jackson and it's like the transition, right? Yeah. Those sugary coffee drinks, now I'm drinking black coffee. This is interesting and I feel like it, it really speaks to what so much of Love Good is about because we want to help people raise their standard. Uh-huh. You know, I think similarly when I was about, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old, I was hanging out at the Starbucks in 21st. I was a Vanderbilt student. I was all about anytime I could get my hands on a white chocolate mocha. Yeah. You know, and just like sit there for hours feeling way more sophisticated than I actually was. <laughs> and now I'm at a point where I mean, I drink black coffee, not just because I thing it keeps more hair in my chest you know right but it really does taste better yeah and it, it kind of similar vein you know a lot of the music that we're constantly producing promoting books that we're recommending movies that we want people to go see it takes you to a, a little bit of a different place that you kind of need perhaps a little bit more preparation for or you need to kind of like cultivate something deeper within to even be able to appreciate it no it's true of food and coffee uh, I'd say it's true of, of what you do as an artist, and uh, it's been really cool to watch your journey. I mean, 2004 was when I showed up as a freshman at Vanderbilt, and I think that's when 23 Places came out. Is that right? Oh, three. Oh, three. It's there close. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. awesome. And you've been on quite a journey artistically, creatively, I'm sure even personally yeah. over the last 10, 15 years. Tell yeah. us a little bit of the backstory. What, what got you here? What mm. kind of keeps you here? And uh, you've obviously been reinventing yourself you know, along the way, which is so cool yeah. to see. I moved here after college in 2001. I went to school at the University of Illinois. And throughout my time there, I, like, I fell in love with writing and performing songs. And so the move to Nashville was was a deliberate one to be in a in a space where I could grow in that more and be around 
other people who are wanting to do the same thing. You know, you're just naive in your youth, and that naivete is actually like an asset, I think, in a lot of cases, because if I knew really what, what I was up against, I, I never would have moved here. You know, like if if I would have known how talented the, the dishwashers were, yeah. you know, uh, at Bongo Java, yeah. um, I, I probably like never would have given it a try, given it a try. And, and that really helped to not know. And I was following a model that the bands that I was into in high school and college took, which was kind of just like do it yourself. Like it was all yeah. DIY and it was like, sell it out of the, the trunk of your car after the show that you may or may not have gotten paid to play, but like if you sell enough records, that was at a time where people were still buying CDs, you know? So it it really like, I I didn't come to Nashville to like be discovered or to try to sign a record deal or I wasn't looking for anybody necessarily to like validate what I was doing as much as I was just like to be in a community of other people who were doing the same thing. I surely would have loved to have met and like I, I had dreams of like, you know, being taken on tour by some of my heroes. You know, like at the time it was like Cademan's Call and Bebo Norman and Waterdeep yeah. and some of these like Christian artists who were playing music that was honest and they were doing it largely in venues that weren't necessarily like churches. And so I knew that as I approached like coming from a Christian background and growing up in that culture, I knew that I didn't necessarily like want to pigeonhole myself into that community just because it, it felt like a bad business decision. First of all, because I'm like, why would I limit who my audience is? Because I'm just trying, you know, that seems like a dumb idea. And then secondly, I just never wanted to, I, I didn't want to be under the microscope of like what a Christian is supposed to be, you know? And I just never was like up for that responsibility. Now, granted, it comes regardless because people might find out and then, and you know, and, and everybody has their own expectations that they, that they want to like place on you, you know? And so, I am I am conscious of my reputation, but I don't feel like any kind of like I don't have the same pressures on me that like my friends who are in the Christian music industry do in terms of like, you know, I can talk about enjoying like a glass of bourbon or smoking a cigar, you know, without fear of the backlash of that. So some days that's all we talk about around here. Actually. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, but but like, <laughs> you know, I have some friends that like would have to keep that kind of stuff like that couldn't be like public yeah. information, you yeah. know, and and that's that just feels, you know, like that's not how I want to live. I'm, I'm yeah. too, I'm too like open to like edit that much, mm-hmm. you know. So anyway, I came here just wanting to like write about. I wanted to write and make music that was like real and relatable that people could connect with, and whether we believe the same thing or not. But hopefully, I could like point in a direction of love and and acceptance and grace you know that's that that was my hope well there's a freedom there and i think comes out not just in your creative process and the music that you put out it really just comes across in conversations like this interactions like what we're having right now i think everybody's longing for that level of real and that level of transparency and 
most of us, you know, we're kind of constantly hiding behind expectations or reputations. It's, it's not just those who are in the limelight. I think people feel this pressure. They put it on themselves and there's just not this, this joy in realizing the reality of things. That's kind of what humility is all about. It's just recognizing what is true yeah. and what is real. Yeah. And th- again, there's a freedom in you. It's really cool to see that. Thanks, man. Yeah. It's Thank probably you. pretty rare. So I would love to actually just chat for a moment about this community of artists. I know when Barnes was on the show probably a couple months ago, he talked about the ecosystem of humility that it is to live in a city like Nashville, where, yeah, mm. sometimes the uh, the waitress has more talent in her pinky finger than the rest of us combined, you know. And uh, that would kind of be the norm of this town. I suppose there's like a certain pressure in that. Um, how do you kind of remain just who you are? Like, how do you live into that freedom while being a part of this community that's bigger than you without kind of feeling the forces of an industry bearing down upon you or not selling out or feeling like you've got to be something for others rather than just being who you are, you know? I mean, you just feel all those things at various times, you know? Like, I do feel competitive with my friends sometimes. And I do feel like, what am I doing with my life? And like, like today, I'm not going to write a song today, but like there's a bunch of people who are writing two songs today. I'm not working on anything, but like there are people who are like working on seven different things. But also, I have done something. I have been able to sustain a career as a as a recording artist for coming on 18 years. And and sometimes that's like my ego will like enjoy that, you know? And sometimes that will like make me feel cool. And then sometimes I just feel comfortable in my own skin is Matt who doesn't really have much going on today besides doing this podcast and probably working out and getting a coffee with my friend and mm. getting ready for this backpacking trip on Friday. You oh, know what I mean? Dude, where are you going? Uh, I'm going to like just like outside of Creed, Colorado with That's a friend awesome. of mine. Like being a human is like a struggle. It's hard to be a human being. And so, like, anybody that tries to, like, tell you otherwise is selling you is selling you something. Yeah. And so, like, the truth is, man, you just, like, how do you do it? You, you just, like, try to be – I'm trying to be more attentive to, like, what I'm actually feeling in given situations instead of, like, being totally shut off and, like, medicated by sugar or – consumerism or lust or whatever it is like I'm, I'm just trying to be a little more like hmm. noticing more of like what's going on and actually deal with that instead of storing up all of this like these things and it all bubbles up into you know someday and I'm just like yeah. losing my mind you know that's it and I think what you're describing is a little bit of a remedy for the kind of widespread depression that we're seeing and at the very least anxiety I mean I get to do a lot of traveling and interacting with young people all over the world. Uh, Most of them, you know, high school age, college students. And this is a question I often ask is how many of you uh, really feel at peace, even a a majority of the time? And and by the time like they're being real and and honest and raising their hands, we're at like less than 20% of the time, most of these young people walk around actually feeling happy. That's a real tragedy. And I think there's this kind of... um, maybe illusion or fantasy that most of us have bought into about the human experience. And as you put it, like actually 
it is about struggle and being faithful to that struggle and not giving up and not giving in, but also like, you know, at the end of the day, part of being human is just recognizing the brokenness and the mess of it all, you know? It is. And it's free. It's kind of freeing. I mean, I don't know about you, but anytime I hear anybody share about like, no, the expectation is actually that this is difficult. That Mm -hmm. actually serves to, it comforts me. Yeah. Because I know that that's my experience. Mm -hmm. Or when I hear like a married couple talk about like the reality of their like, of like how difficult marriage is, it's actually like, but how beautiful it is in the midst of it. I'm like, that is actually, that actually is comforting to me. Mm. Way more so than somebody just talking about how like great things are all the time. I'm like, you know, and I'm old enough now that I'm like, I just don't, I just don't like buy it. (laughs) You know? It's really not how it works. I don't, I mean, that doesn't line up with my experience of life. And, um, Richard Rohr talks about that, like, I can't remember what the three the three prongs are, but experience is the thing, is one of those three, mm. and it's the thing that, like, is actually the leading wheel of the tricycle right. that, like, that we don't, a lot of times in church settings, like, we don't give enough validation to, but it's actually experience is the thing, or his thought is, experience is the thing that above everything else is like what we base what we think is true on. I believe it. I mean, this is a whole field of philosophy that's only maybe a century old. It's called phenomenology, which is basically like it's not true unless you've experienced it, you know? Okay. And I don't know that that can stand alone. I'm sure these three tiers would sort of fill in some gaps. Yeah. But the reality is uh, if we don't recognize the very real experiences of our lives, the very real emotions on the level of the heart, the very real kind of... Uh, anxieties and uh, even just like lack of conformity with reality in our mind, you know, like there's, there's just uh, so much to that, that brings the peace and that brings the the perseverance that actually we all need. Mm. And I'm curious, I mean, this is obviously true of life on a personal level, uh, but creatively and, and musically, was this part of what went into the whole adventure of going out West and, you know, kind of uh, reinventing yourself um, on this new album, Gunshimes? Two years ago, uh, what was that process even creatively like for well, you? Well, I made Gunshy in in Los Angeles, and previously every other record I'd ever made was made in Nashville. And the and the process that the songs were written in Nashville were like, you know, you and I would, uh, or you know, I would sit down and write a song by myself, and that might take two or three different sittings, or or it might be one you know moment of inspiration that everything just kind of pours out or or maybe you and I set up a time to write and we sit down and talk about life and then a song comes out of that um, maybe we've both got acoustic guitars or there's a piano in the room or something like that well in LA the way that those songs were written was like me and at least one other person on a computer with like recording software and maybe one other person and we are writing the song as the music is being composed at the same time so it might start with like a with like a drum beat Hmm. that like inspires a melody or the drum beat inspires like a guitar part that then inspires a melody and then oh that it sounded like you just said you know this word like oh that's that's our title and then you start and then a lot of times by the end of the day you have a song that's like 95 percent of the way there it's like it's very close to being how it would turn up on a record. 
and I didn't bring a guitar to the to the writing sessions. I just I was bringing my melodic sense and my lyrical, you know, whatever it was that like lyrically I was going to bring to the table that day. It was working out different muscles. It also what that what that allowed me to do was to to make a a record that sounded way more current because in Nashville we're trying you know to to keep up but the reality is popular music is like primarily made in in Los Angeles I mean like 98% of pop music is made in LA so if you want to do if you want to make pop music you go there and we're making like there are more pop acts that are coming out of Nashville and and we certainly have had a few you know breakthroughs but I mean, you know, they're just blips on the radar compared to like what, you know, what's happening in LA. There's there's a freedom that they have creatively that is that we don't have. What we do have is we have excellent musicianship and we have a craft that is like second to none. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, some of the best songs ever written have been written in this town. That's right. But there's something about the way that um, the process and the songs that come out of L.A. that like could not happen here. Mm. I wanted to stir it up a little bit. I wanted to do something that was that felt risky. I also kind of felt like I was at a point in my career where like it wasn't that big of a risk either because I felt like at this point the people that are still listening to my music are probably with me. You know, like. I've been at this long enough where like the people who are just kind of like kind of here because their friends were are gone now and they're onto something else or they're just, you know, married and have kids and don't have time for it. But to a large degree, I think the people who are still listening to my music are going to try to like whatever it is that I put out. So I didn't feel I kind of feel like I had nothing to lose, honestly. Mm-hmm. And the other thing about that, I remember this, too. I was thinking about what made 23 places that record so special because it it really was for a long time that was the record that i was trying to to beat you know that was the first album that i made when i moved to nashville and i made that with ed cash and dave barnes Hmm. and what was unique about that was i was in a new place working with new friends and new people who were bringing something to the equation that was like out of my wheelhouse. Like it was mm-hmm. like they were elevating what I was doing. And so that's what I tried to duplicate with Gunshot. I wanted to be in a new place working with like new people that would like force me to like step up and be better, you know? And I think that's what I actually I think it worked, you know? I think Gunshot in its own way, you hear some of the same excitement of like and freshness of like discovery that was you know present on 23 places like in its own way now granted i'm i I wasn't you know that i made that record when i was like 22 years old you know Mm. and it's a lot more like acoustic instruments organic sounds this new one is heavily programmed and you know computer based but it was such a fun album to make i think you can hear the joy that Mm. was the process in the recordings it's really cool. And it, it sounds like it was as much collaborative as it was organic each day as another song is being kind of pounded out. And uh, yeah, I'd be totally mesmerized to go and see that process unfold. I'm curious, you know, who are some of the influences in your life? And even at this point, as we're wrapping up the conversation, different 
recommendations that you would offer? I mean, I think it's our mutual friend, Josh Hayden, that has gotten me reading some of the best books I've ever read in my life. I yeah. mean, the life-changing stuff yeah. like Orthodoxy by Chesterton and The Great Divorce by Lewis, you know, but who, who are your big influences? What inspires the creative process? What even inspires this real faithfulness to the struggle of what it means to be human? What inspires the faithfulness, the struggle, what it means to be human is, I guess I've just, I have been just totally blessed with people who are, who have gone before and have some gray hair and are saying, you're going to be okay, you know, <laughs> keep on the path, you know, and, and I've been there too, you know, that kind of, that kind of thing. Ali Andrews, who I'm sure you've heard brought up in this room before, maybe you've had him on, has been an incredible gift to me in this community and and in that way um a guy named dane anthony who is i know been a huge influence on josh as well i've been reading a lot of poetry and a lot of stuff comes from both dane and al they'll, they'll give me poets to read and i do like roar i do like bell i think there's some really interesting stuff going on right now man it's a really really pivotal moment it feels that way, hmm. not only within the Christian culture, um, which I think is being disrupted for good. I really think it's a good thing. And also just in the world, obviously. I mean, we're, we're like being faced with like Josh and I were talking about this morning, this morning, like it's not so much that we're living in a new world. It's that the veil has been lifted to what world we've been living in. We just were kind of like not privy to what all has been going on. So I love just keeping an eye on culture and what's moving, what's happening, what what are the trends that are kind of like bubbling up. And at the end of the day, I'm like, I've just had this recent thought that like all the stuff that we come up with today, Jesus was like already kind of like did or addressed, you know, like just, just looking at him from like a, as like a revolutionary, you know, and the, the way that he advocated for the marginalized and the poor and the oppressed and the, and women, you know, anybody on the margins of, of life and who was like, who were left out, like we, we still haven't gotten it, you know? And so we continue to like think that these are new issues, but they're just not new issues. I mean, the problem with, with power and hierarchies and systems, it's like, this is not new. This is, this is going to continue to be, a thing with humans period yeah. so um I, I don't know and it's and I, i'm not through peterson's book yet jordan jordan peterson but i it seems like he is addressing a lot of these topics in a really thoughtful way and um yeah i'm hopeful that his voice grows and people pay attention so yeah I, i'm reading that right now I'm reading um does it 12 rules for life that's it yeah um i'm also i'm trying to finish the great santini <laughs> uh, by Conroy I'm reading Anam Kara by uh, John O'Donohue I have several poetry books open and in the works you know David White is somebody I've, and then I'm um, Christian uh, oh, what's Christian's last name anyway there are always about four or five books that I'm like chipping away at yeah I hear you Right now, and I just saw I just saw Solo last night, which nice. I thought was awesome. And I saw this movie called The Rider a couple nights ago. That is like culturally, I think is way more important than Solo. Mm. Um, it's beautiful. I would highly recommend it. 
by the time this comes out, you could probably watch it on iTunes or you know Netflix or something like that. But mm. the writer, R I D E R. Cool. Yeah. Well, Matt Worth, it's been an absolute joy and a Jimmy, privilege thank to have you. Man. Yeah, thanks for this, and we'll do it again sometime. Absolutely. What an amazing conversation we've just had with Matt Wirtz. Uh, he is as real as they come, and that entire conversation is going to release on YouTube. If it hasn't already, it will soon. And you'll get to kind of catch um, just even his posture of humility and, uh, oh man, hilarity. I mean, Matt Wirtz is about as cool and funny uh, an artist as we've had in this studio, maybe since Dave Barnes, who just conveniently happens to be a good friend of his as well. So it's just been a real joy to get to share this dialogue with you guys. Uh, you guys are amazing. Hope you continue to enjoy the beautiful, beautiful summer that's unfolding. And we'll see you guys again in a few weeks with Tyson Matzenbacher, a brilliant singer-songwriter from the West Coast. His biggest friend and mentor is John Foreman, the lead singer of Switchfoot. They have a, a single currently out on iTunes together. So go check that out and tune in in a few weeks with our conversation with Tyson Matzenbacher. God bless you guys. We'll see you soon. Thank you for tuning in to the Love Good Podcast. Tell your friends all about us. Stay in touch on social media. And be sure to stop by iTunes or Stitcher to give us a review. Massive thanks to all of our patrons who make this podcast possible. As they stand on the front lines of discovering the world's best new music, books, and art before anyone else, our patrons raise media to a higher standard and help young people and artists turn that standard into a way of life. Join the movement today that will give you hope for tomorrow. Become a patron now at lovegoodculture.com.